0: This is the Future of HR Podcast, episode 55.
1: Real, real purpose with real people solving real problems matters. Like it matters to human beings and it matters to me. And every single person came to work going up the steps, two steps at a time at Patagonia, knowing that we were saving the planet for our children every single day. There wasn't like, this wasn't a slogan. This is something we didn't just recycle. It was an intent purpose, knowing that even ultimately that a bond would give away his fortune to save the planet. This was every single day we woke up. And that's what purpose is. And I learned purpose isn't something on a black, It is something you firmly believe. Rachel firmly believes that we have a crisis in America around talent. That's why she formed the company. And that's why I'm working there to help her solve that crisis.
0: Are you clear on your purpose How can you align your career with your values, passion, and your purpose? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is Dean Carter. Dean is the Chief People and Purpose Officer for Guild. Guild was founded in 2015 with one simple belief. When opportunity is as evenly distributed as talent, everyone benefits, individuals rise, companies grow, and our economy thrives. With their Guild Career Opportunity Platform, Guild has helped millions of Americans gain the skills and the support they need to grow in their careers. Prior to Guild, Dean has had a distinguished career that includes serving as the Head of Global People, Culture, and Shared Services at the renowned outdoor apparel company, Patagonia. Dean has been instrumental in shaping workplace cultures that prioritize sustainability, employee well-being, and social responsibility. Dean is an amazing leader who has aligned his career with his purpose and his passions. And there's a lot we can all learn from Dean. And in our conversation today, Dean and I will discuss how he found his passion and purpose to be an HR leader. What he learned about leadership, culture, and purpose during his time at Patagonia. Why he believes you should identify what makes your culture unique and go after it in a big way. Why he added purpose to his chief people officer title at Guild how he used first design principles to redesign the roles of his HR organization at Guild, why he launched a community for CHROs called CHRO Compass, and his advice for CHROs who aspire to be on organization's board of directors. Dean, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you?
1: Thank you uh, for inviting me, JP. It's great great to be here today. Well,
0: it's great to have you on the podcast. I think I've seen you speak twice in my career, so the opportunity to speak with you, it's just incredible, and I think it's going to be fun for the audience to hear more about the journey, and now you're at Guild, which is another amazing company, Brilliant.
1: so I'm excited to dive well, in. great. I've been super fortunate in my career to work for some amazing companies and amazing human beings, and um, yeah, and now I'm in another amazing place with amazing humans.
0: Well, that is a good recipe for success. Be an amazing human yourself yeah. and then work for other amazing humans. As I was looking at your background, I didn't really know this. Of course, I was thinking, Dean must be a career HR person through his core. But I realized, actually, you didn't start your career in HR at all. Can so you talk about your early career and how you found that passion for HR?
1: I started my career, like every good graduate from school, with in sales with Procter & Gamble. So you could either do sales with Procter & Gamble or consulting for one of the big firms or, um, some sort of, you know, it was one of those kind of three options, but P&G was always a big option. So I, I got a job with Proch and Gamble. It was stuff, but I didn't really pay a lot of attention to us selling diapers to nursing homes. So I thought it was like, to to be selling soap. And so anyway, yeah, it was a great job. And I realized pretty quick though, that I didn't, uh, I was really good at sales. I like rookie of the year did, did I sold a lot of diapers, but I realized it wasn't my thing. And I found a really good, incredible training program at Pearl Vision. I took a pay cut to, to take this job. They had a six month leadership development program, which was really, really cool. And I knew there's a good place to go because I could manage a large number of people with a large number of, of responsibility at a very young age, which is the nature of retail. So I got the job and I did well there, kind of moved up quickly in my first store in San Diego. I saw someone was doing a job called Area Trainer. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to be an area trainer. And I told everyone I want to be an area trainer. And so I became an area trainer. And then after that, I became a regional trainer and then a national trainer. And then ultimately became the head of franchise university, which if you bought a franchise at a very young age, it would teach you how to run that. There was a moment in my time was going to be a regional manager and uh, a rumor came around the company that I was gay. Um, and at the time in Texas, the sodomy laws were, um, still in place and you absolutely still could be fired if you were gay. And so she was saying that I deserved to be, uh, couldn't work at the company. I was a sodomist and would not work. And so I was really concerned about my job and I went in and talked to, I just walked into the head of HR's office, Roy Wilson, after it had been going on for a few months. And I just said, Hey, Roy, I need to let you know something. I'm gay. I know I've not talked about it that much, but I am. And uh, if that's not okay here, then I got to find a job somewhere else. I'm going to, whatever I need to do, I it has to be okay because I can't work like this. I need to know, God, Dean, don't worry. This is not a big deal. I can't believe someone's saying that you're, you're doing great work here. Keep up the great work. No problem. That is the day I decided to be head of HR. Like someday. I was going to be Roy Wilson, and someone's going to come into my office and say something like, and I just felt like, yeah, that's what I want to do for a living, and that's, that's how I got into HR. Sure.
0: That's an incredible story, Dean. Thank you for sharing that, and it's such a personal story, but it's such the right reason to want to be ahead head of HR and have that impact and create that inclusive environment. I can only imagine how good that felt when he said that to you, it like, was, hey, that's okay. Like,
1: Yeah, it was. It was uh, I was really scared. I was really thought, really I'm going to lose my job, and... Um, and I just talked with him and he affirmed it. And interestingly enough, the person that was spreading the rumor ended up leaving the company and I got their job.
0: Well, I think that it's, not, it's great, but I also think that business background you had, right? The sales background. Yeah. And I would say one thing, just a career tip in there when you said you wanted to be a regional trainer and you told everyone you knew you wanted to be a regional trainer by telling people what you want to do for your career, people sort of help you. They're right. like, oh, hey, you know, Dean wants to be a regional trainer, right? Isn't that kind of what happened Yeah, to I you? did.
1: I just told people over and over and over again, I want to be a regional trainer. I want to be a regional trainer. I want to be a regional trainer. And So finally it got so annoying, but someone said, someone do that for that guy. So uh, that's worked for another thing for a really long time. And it's how I got onto my first board position. Back when I was with Fossil, I told every single recruiter that I work with, um, someday I want to be on a board. Someday I want to be on a board. Someday I want to be a board. Someday when you have an opportunity, think about me. Someday I want to be a board. And then I told every friend who I knew is like a future entrepreneur and going to keep right and lie. I'm like, someday put me on your board. So, uh, anyhow, I got a call when I was at Patagonia from um, a recruiter and said, Dean, remember years ago at, um, fossil, you said you want to be on a board. I have a board for you. Griffith Foods, what do you think? And, uh, of those was my first board position, and it came from me telling Brian, our executive recruiter, someday you think about me. And uh, I was pretty annoying that one worked too.
0: It's amazing when we're clear, the great things that can happen for us, and people want to open those doors. It so is. I love that you shared that I story. I to do this thing. We're gonna, and we're going to talk about that CHRO on boards because that is something I think we need more of, and I know you also have a good point of view on that. But I want to touch on the seven years you spent at Patagonia, where you're a global head of people, culture, and shared services. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but honestly, we all want to know, like, how did that time there impact how you think about leadership, culture, and, process,
1: and purpose? You have to know where I came from. So I had spent five years as the head of HR for Sears, which is another story. So um, I was fresh from Sears, and you know, to some extent, I wasn't sure I was going to take the job at Patagonia. I um had other bigger jobs, moving from forty billion dollar company, you know, two hundred seventy thousand employees, six thousand people on the HR team. It was a pretty substantial job. Kind of thinking that my next would be another big role, and I was certainly interviewing those. And I interviewed with Patagonia, and they offered it. And they said, "Well, by the way, finance will report to you and general counsel. How's that? Is that?" I was like, "Well, highly irresponsible, but um, I'll I'll, I'll work on it," and. Of course, I learned about Patagonia and um, more about it. And every friend of mine said, you are absolutely crazy if you don't take that job. Mm-hmm. And so I took the job at Patagonia because of its purpose. I do believe that the planet's in deep trouble and, uh, and <laughs> having the ability to work for a company that was solving that problem was a big deal. So here's what I learned. Real, real purpose with real people solving real problems matters. Like it matters to human beings and it matters to me. And every single person came to work going up the steps, two steps at a time at Patagonia, knowing that we were saving the planet for our children every single day. It wasn't like, this wasn't a slogan. This is something we didn't just recycle. It was an intent purpose, knowing that even ultimately the DeBon would give away his fortune to save the planet. This was every single day we woke up. And that's what purpose is. And I learned purpose isn't something on a plaque. It is something you firmly believe. Rachel firmly believes that we have a crisis in America around talent. That's why she formed the company. And that's why I'm working there to help her solve that crisis. The second thing is leaders. Leaders have to lead by modeling the way. Like I watched Javon every single day. I learned from him and his wife, Melinda. I learned from Rachel So the time that I'm here. Like I, when everyone is looking at the leader and um, what I learned is like how you behave is how everyone else is going to behave. I, uh, and if you listen real hard, you're going to learn something no matter what. My third thing is, um, I think working for a company like Patagonia or, or Guild or even kind of what I would call like a vanilla culture with provision to some extent um, is that what is your big thing? Like, what is the thing about your culture that is so different than every other company? What is your big thing? And then go deep on it. So Patagonia had a couple, but with the book, My Biblical Serving, the know, new hire orientation, you went serving. Like that was a part of the <laughs> interpretation. Yeah. Children were a big part of, we were saving the planet for children. So we had on-site childcare. Um, we have, you know, that kind of like wild thing that we have a guild in terms of, we have a sabbatical so you get time off because that's what they believe in. After four years, every single person gets equity because she believes everyone should be an owner. Like there are things that, you know, set these cultures apart. And I think great companies um, don't just try to copy another company. They do what's unique to them and they drive it in this big, wow, wild, crazy way.
0: You know, what I found, Dean, I'd love your perspective on this. When I think about the great cultures, Patagonia, Guild, what Rachel's doing, Amazon even, right? Steve Jobs at Apple. I was at Dick's Sporting Goods, Ed Stack, who really took that from his dad, who's Dick Stack, and built that from two sporting goods stores to 800 plus. Yeah. There's consistency in the founders. Yes. And a lot of times, I think when you take other companies where we replace the CEO, replace the CHRO, every three years, there's change of leadership. It's really hard to drive purpose to the level that Patagonia other companies have. What's your take on that? Do you believe that's true? or I love
1: Place- I've been working for founders almost all my career. So when I worked for Pearl Vision, I worked for Stanley Pearl. The, we ran the company according to Stanley's like view and vision. Um to some extent, um Tom Carsotis and Costa, the Carzotis brothers founded Fossil. And it it felt like there it felt like it was um one of the things was a, was irreverence. I don't know if you remember the brand back then, but it was kind of like poking fun its watch a little bit. We'd even put the watch in a tin can, like, and the CEO would walk, skate around on a skateboard, pause by a conference room and put a space and like do that blowfish thing where you like make your cheeks really big. All of a sudden you look over in the seat, I mean, doing this based on the thing. He just want to make sure that we never took, you know, work too, ser- took work seriously, but not, you know, us seriously. I think those are big deals. And I, I learned that is like, yeah, I think, Founders, um, I love working with founders. And I, I believe there's something special by consistency in leadership, consistency in purpose. And usually founders had some reason why they started these companies in the first place. Like, they want to do something big in the world. Even Amazon and Google had big, big, you know, purposes that, that drive their behavior every day.
0: Well, I love your advice too, even if you don't work for a com- company of a founder but think about kind of those spikes for your culture yep. and embrace them, right? Go, Go deeper, deep. really make, make that differentiated so people really understand what you guys represent. It's great advice. Do. You talked a little bit about why you joined yeah. Guild, but your title is actually really interesting. I'd like to talk about this. Your Chief People and Purpose Officer. Yeah. Talk a little more about why is purpose in your title.
1: The original title that I got was Chief People Officer from, for Guild. And I thought about it a bit, and I went back to, um, and I'm very purpose-driven, by the way. This is my, like, after going with, to Patagonia, I don't know if I could work for another company yet. Patagonia was the first B Corp of California. Guild is a B Corp also. I have a lot of respect for companies that take that extra step to actually be a purpose-driven B Corp, put it in their principles. And, uh, and I knew the purpose of the company was to lift people in their careers. I am like, wow. That is my life purpose. I've been doing that all my life. That's my job. And so I, when I went back to Rachel, I said, you know what? I feel like I own the purpose of this company in a really different way than most. And I felt like back in my time at Patagonia, I owned the purpose as well. I like drove culture. I hired to purpose. I We promoted to purpose. We Set the benefit structures to purpose. And I said, I'm going to do the same thing here. So how about I be the chief people and purpose officer? What do you think? And she was like, hell yes. <laughs> she <laughs> Blake. She's like, it just like, yeah, of course. I thought you were that. So I've, uh, that's how I, I got the title. And I think there's been a few other folks, I think, who've heard that and, uh, changed their title to the chief people and purpose officer. And I think that another part, you know, after COVID, the job changed so much. We, you know, we're chief medical officer, chief diversity officer, chief, you know, so many things. And I think that um, there's a realization that the head of HR drives the most important part. And financial capital is always a big driver. And I think human capital is now the realization, given the knowledge economy, that the person really driving your people strategy is the one who's mo- almost most connected to your business strategy. And I've, I found that being highly involved with Patagonia in the strategy. I'm highly involved with strategy at guild both the product strategy the people strategy the business strategy and so yeah i'm deeply tied to us driving this purpose every single day and i figure my job is um certainly you know connecting purpose to business connecting the work we do and the people team to business but i'm like the anchor like okay i think we're getting off course let's kind of go back in um, i feel like that's one of my roles in every company had it going yet and here um, to go, okay, I think we're getting a little off course. Remember what our purpose is. Remember what our why is. And here's why we're, you know, we'll go back to making decisions. Like, why do we exist? What's our purpose? Then, okay, great. Now, you know, two things we're not going to do. And we're going to do these three things in big ways.
0: That's such an important role for HR leaders to play with their teams when people start to get off track and start to make decisions that really don't align with the values, what they're really all about, because it'll happen. happen. You start to brainstorm in the heat of the moment and all of a sudden you're like, wait, that isn't really who we are. That's not what we do to our team members. Yeah, that we could do that, but why would we do that? And it's great for HR leaders to do that. It takes courage because not every business leader wants to hear that, but that's it. We got to hold the mirror up. Yeah. I think
1: they expect us to be courageous. I think that that is the role they expect us to be. I don't know if if you're not doing that. It's hard to have credibility. I think you increase your credibility every time you go, okay. And I you usually get some level of gratitude. Like, you know, you're right. When it comes to, to you know, there's so many times, there's so many, I don't know if companies don't lack for opportunity. There's like a million ways you go, million problems you can solve. And staying focused on the original problem you exist and the reason what the problem you're solving keeps you focused on doing that. And you can do a hundred things okay or one thing really amazing. Stay on the path. Stay on the path. How do you make career
0: decisions and what advice do you have for others on how they can find companies that align to their yeah. values? Yes,
1: yeah, very strategic. Once I determined that I was going to be head of HR, I was really, really strategic about, um, I knew that I couldn't just do training. Like I would just kind of continued to get promoted on the training path that I would always be in the training department and learning department, which is fine because I love that work. But my next step, um, I interviewed with tons of companies. I interviewed with um, Disney. I couldn't eat, I couldn't even get like an HR job at the International House of Pancakes because they didn't have enough like experience in doing anything outside of training. And so I got so many no's and I just kept at it until I finally got a yes with um, Pier One, who who put me at the head of um, recruiting. I'm like, yes, a job that is not training, should they? trusted my work as a general manager, um, to do a good job at recruiting. I did. And I eventually did, um, a little bit of, um, business partner work in that role. And that's kind of after peer after the role at, um, peer one, I actually got a break to, um, take a job and followed someone to fossil. And, uh, it was, um, wasn't a head of HR job. I was hoping that was my next, but it wasn't, but it was like, compensation. I had everything at training and reported to the head of HR within a year she left or she stayed. And she said, I just want to do training, which is the least thing I wanted to do. I wanted to learn all the other stuff. She goes, you're the, I talked to the CEO, go talk to him. You're the head of HR. I'm like, like full on imposter syndrome. I had no idea what I was doing. And I um, met four people and started a team. And then, um, for personal reasons, um, I, I did that for 10 years and was really planning my career to kind of go to bigger and bigger head-to-bate jar jobs. But for personal reasons I need to live in Chicago. And the only job available was the head of talent at Sears. I was like, ugh I've ruined my career. Um I thought I'd taken a step back um on a dying brand in a challenging company. I knew the nature of the work would be a lot of layoffs. Um it was not work that I loved, and I was going to be the head of talent. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to make the best out of these five years because we only were going to live there five years given um, our daughter lives in Iowa, and we were going to be close to her, and I just needed to do that. And so um, I learned a lot in that role. Within a year, somehow, kismetty thing happened. The head of HR left. I got called by Ada Lampert, and he's like, you're the new head of HR. I'm like, holy fuck. I'm the head of HR for Sears. But I learned a lot there, and I just took like, how do I take this really challenging situation? What's the what's the worst thing about this company? It's big and it's failing. How can I take big and failing and learn from it? So um, the best thing about big is data, lots of data points and a lot of volatility in that. So we became a massive data shop, and I ended up for, partnering with Northwestern University, founded the most elite um, data analytics group in the nation, brought. Amazon, Google, Apple, all of them together. And that's um, 10 years later it still exists. And it's the, the conference for the Lead Channel Analytics. We learn lots of words for it. And then um, I was going to, after working for Sears, I really wanted a purpose-driven company. That was super important. And I landed on Patagonia. And here's what I say to people, because I, I speak a lot at universities. I do a lot of guest speaking, with MBA students or undergrads in business school. And they asked me how to get purpose driven company. And I say, you know what? Keep your eye on the companies that you want for. B Corp is a great place, but sometimes you don't get to work for a purpose driven company. Sometimes you work for a jerk. Like sometimes like you're going to be in challenging situations. Like you, but you learn most in challenging situations. I learned a ton at Sears, probably more than those five years than I learned at the 10 fossil. And, um, what Gallup said—they did ton of research on managers. When seventy percent of managers are terrible, you're only going to get three good ones, and if you train, train really hard to get one more good one. So your likelihood of working for a purpose-driven company and amazing manager is pretty low. But someday, you keep focus on it. You talk to B Corp. You get that. And the thing is, by the time I was Patagonia came along, I was ready for it. When Guild came along, I was ready for it. I could take. I had choice. So my thing is be ready for it. Tell everything you want it. And be ready to do the job no one else wants to do to learn. That's my advice. You don't always get their purpose-driven job on the first line. You, You kind of have to earn your way towards it.
0: That's really great advice. And I appreciate you sharing the career journey because I think a lot of times when people see The CHROs at Guild, at Patagonia, right? Or other Fortune 500 CHROs, you're like, oh, their career was perfect. No, God. No, no. In fact, when you really dig into it, most of our careers are not linear. They're up, they're down, they're sideways. There's things that happen. And what it's about, it's about persevering, like you said, and making the best of those moments, like you did.
1: It really is. And trying to find, like uh, when I went from um, Procter & Gamble to Pearl, I took a huge pay cut huge pay cut and Pearl vision was a not as good a brand as, um, P and G, but I was really specific about what I wanted to learn. And they were going to give me the opportunity for that. I always talked to my own daughter after school. I'm like, Grace, remember these are the learning years, not the earning years. She was like, I need you to learn, 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 and you'll get where you want to go. But if you focus on these are just the earning years and you don't focus on what you're learning. Um, then you get stuck at some point. So just like remember, they're they're the learning. I mean, every year is a learning year, but for the most part, the beginning of your career, those are the learning years and learn as much as you can, get as much in your backpack and then you're ready for whatever. I love that. Let's talk a little more about your early tenure here at Guild so far.
0: And it sounds like you were challenged to really like rethink and reposition HR to be more about outcomes, solving business problems and changing mindsets. I have a feeling you're up to that task, but talk more about what you did to change the HR function and how to add more value.
1: Yeah, Well, one of the things that Guild does in general is starts with first design principles, what's the problem to be solved? So we do that across a lot of things. I like to um, take a look at the business model and then mirror the people model after whatever the business is doing. So at Patagonia, we use concepts around regenerative agriculture. So I copied that and talked about regenerative human practices and how do you apply Regenag to actually human beings. Still use that as a practice. First design principles in terms of the problem to be solved is a a cultural issue around guilt. What's the problem to be solved? How do we solve it? So I went and used first design principles for the people team. What's the problem we're solving? So I think sometimes we get our heads wrapped around um, not the problem to solve, but the tool to be used. So we measure, we have all these tools that are in our toolbox. And we measure success by the amount of um, acceptance people have for the tool, how much acceptance we have for the performance review, how many people use the nine box, how many people um, are participating in uh, the engagement survey, like all these things, like we measure, you know, how many people actually went through the performance review, how many people have goals. I think we are really good at measuring the usage of tools, but we're terrible at really setting up teams to do outcomes. So the very first job that we created was the head of opportunity mobility. That job is totally focused on people getting from point A to point B, moving up and what are the barriers um, to marginalized communities to make that happen. And uh, how, and so this person only focuses from hire to retire, how to get people up in their job to making bigger jobs and make more money. And ultimately, solving the wealth gap, hopefully. So that's what their only job is. There's nothing else. This is what they're focused on every single day. I've got another person who is focused on career agility and outcomes. Not performance management. I just want you to have better outcomes for the business and for the human being. And that they perform their job better tomorrow than they did today. I don't care what you do. Um, Head of training department is now called Learning Knowledge. um, Given AI. Knowledge is going to be, learning is actually going to be easily accessible, but they need to have knowledge around where you get information. Like how do you use chat GPT or generative AI to get information? How do you understand who to go to for what? All these things are super important. So knowledge will be so much more important than learning or even training than in the past. So I've had of learning and knowledge. So I've had a few other things that we're working on, but those are some of the <laughs> beginning roles, like what's the problem we're solving? and then put someone in charge of that. I think the other one that I think
0: we've talked about a little bit was not talent acquisition, right, but talent curation, yeah, which I think is really interesting, right? Because you're like, I'm not just acquiring talent externally, but what about how are succession planning, building pipeline, looking at people who yeah. could take another role who have transferable skills? Is that kind of what you guys were doing?
1: Yeah, we've moved the team to, um, well, in terms of the, t- the recruiting coordinators and our candidate experience specialists, um, and they love that title so much more than Recruiting Coordinator. And then, because they felt, what, what is the problem you're solving? Oh, I want better experiences for candidates. Okay, great. Refer, candidate, recruiter, candidate experience specialist. And then we moved, because Talent Acquisition's first job was always, how do I acquire talent? How do I get good at, the, the job is called recruiter. And uh, so we changed their job to talent creation, because we really want them to think about how do I curate talent internally? And if you think about the people that know talent better than anyone else in the company, they know external talent and they hired all the internal talent because they went through the resumes like they're they had the deepest knowledge, which was a natural thing to put succession planning with that team because one, they feel the biggest pain when, some, when there's an open position. So there's an open position. They're the ones that have to bill it. And uh, and they also know. Usually when there's an open position, the first place you go is back to the recruiting team. Like who on the team has these capabilities and skills? So it's a deep set of knowledge and uh, we combine the talent acquisition team with the business partners to have this handshake between those two roles. I just put succession planning in there as well. And it's working beautifully. It's a, it's been a good, it feels like it's in the flow of work and it's just easy.
0: I think you're onto something. I don't think there's many people doing what you're doing today, but I think focusing on these outcomes, what are we really trying to solve? And yeah. so it's so important. I, I think it's really interesting. I think the talent curation one really struck with me just because it's, such a great reframe and it really empowers that team more. Cause a lot of times we just think of recruiters as like, well, they just go and pick the phone up. Yeah. But they do so much more than that. And I think we just sort of downplay the role they can have in organizations.
1: And the the other thing they do is they're keeping track of the alumni, the people that left Guild. So, um, and that's two things we do too. We count a mobility win when someone goes and we um who gets a better job outside of guild. That's a win for us. Like we create a mobility for somebody. So we track that where people go after, and then once they become alumni, the curation team keeps track of them. How you do it, what's up. So we continue to keep relationships with the people that left Guild, and then someday, as they gain other experiences, we bring them back. That's incredible, and and more companies
0: should do that, frankly, right? Not only think about where you go next, but stay connected. Right, because sometimes those boomerang, boomerang employees can be terrific as well. Boomerang are great.
1: We love boomerangs. Yeah. yeah, and we love when people, if they get another job that we what maybe wasn't available, maybe there was a blocker, and they're able to get another job paying more, bigger, more experience, and then come back to Guild. And we have, we do have a even in our short amount of time, we have a lot of boomerangs.
0: I bet that's so refreshing for candidates and people say, "Wait, I'm resigning, but you're okay with it? You're in fact,
1: you're celebrating this? Oh, we celebrate I, it I, at town halls." So and so just got a new job in here! Yay! Like it's, it's part of um, our celebration piece. These are people who just experienced external mobility, and we literally celebrate them at town halls.
0: That's really incredible, actually. Yeah, that's- Another thing I know you celebrate is really the CHRO kind of community and giving back. And yeah. you've launched after joining Guild the CHRO Compass. Just talk a little bit more about what the mission is there and how's that going so far.
1: Yeah, you know what. When I got to Guild, um, um, one of the things I think that we recognized was the role had changed a lot. And so they really, we wanted to find a place for people to come together um, to share ideas. Um, we already had a pretty strong community within Guild of CHROs. And we just wanted to create an opportunity. And we called it a compass. Like, how can we have a direction finder in really what we call, you know, turbulent times? Still coming out of COVID. Still like hand-wringing over like, are we going to do one day, two days, three days, four days in the office? Like still like going through that whole thing. Understand the impact of like loneliness and depression on people who are working from home, but they don't, they want to work from home, but they're lonely and depressed. Like how do you solve that problem? So that's what I wanted to um, bring the community together. just to think about um, challenges have, you know, Um, I feel like usually the answers in the room, if you just ask a bunch of people, usually there's someone smart. And so we ask questions, um, people come back with answers. We put those into, um, a newsletter and we share kind of some interesting things and thoughts. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great format. Um, the CHR compass for people to join and, and engage in other books and we'll, uh, We'll be having a big event for them at our um, Opportunity Summit coming up in October. Well, people who are in the community come together and we'll get to meet each other face-to-face for the first time, too.
0: That's awesome. We'll, we'll make sure we, uh, we link to that so people can find. But Great. CHRO Compass, I think, on Guild's website, it's pretty easy to okay. go out there and Google and, and check it out. Great. One of the first messages you sent out to the, the community, and this goes back to your board comment, is that I think only 7% of boards have a CHRO, yet we talk about talent. It's all about people but we only have less than 10% of boards actually have someone who's got expertise in people. Why do you think we're having such a hard time getting CHROs on
1: boards? And as a board member, what's been your experience? Board members hired their buddies. That's the truth. Whoever they went to school with or someone they went to with another BC, another board, they tend to hire. It tends to be somewhat um, incestuous, to be frank. So breaking into that is really, really difficult. Um, then I think there's this um, belief sometimes that uh, the, the people part anyone can do. Like, and uh, I've discovered uh, based on my board work um, that I have a unique capability. And I just raised my hand. Like, we haven't done a succession plan. Like, we, do, we, do, we have not even talked about talent board level. We need to start pumping this. Or I'm the one who raises our hand and talks about on people versus just finances and where the business is going. Those are really important conversations. But given that human capital, people say are n- number one issue that boards talk about is talent. Why, why wouldn't you have an expert in talent on the board? It is mind-blowing to me. As a matter of fact, the number has gone down. But I think there are so many boards that are so focused on, we need another CEO, we need another um and then also, it tends to be sometimes people who are investors in the company. And, um, and there are new CHROs who are investors in companies that end up being on boards. And that's what we talk a lot about CHR conferences. Get involved in the investment community, invest companies. It's probably the best way to get into a board. And then the other thing, too, is just tell everyone. I tell everyone all the time. And, uh, and a community of other CHROs that are on boards and we talk to um, always tell about, you know, be sure keep the ladder down and help other people get on boards too.
0: That's great. Thanks for being so candid about that. I mean, I think it's just something that hopefully this trend continues over time. It's not it's going the, maybe the wrong direction lately, but hopefully it goes back up because I think it's important that people have had that human capital experience. Maybe they designed a comp plan. They've actually done succession planning. They've assessed executives yeah. at certain levels, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think we all have a feel for people, but, you know, I mean, I know how to balance my checkbook, but I'm not saying I should be the fine CFO, right? So I think it's I get that.
1: Yeah, um, so, I do want to mention because I say this at events. At, 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 if you want to get more people on boards, um, the person that usually pick, helps companies pick is the executive recruiter you're talking to every week. So I do ask the executive recruiter, how many heads of HR have you placed on boards recently? Tell me a little bit as I'm choosing you to um, uh, be my executive recruiter. How many CHOs have you placed on boards for your company? How many CHOs have you placed on boards? I think starting to hold the recruiters that we actually pay their salaries, we're the ones who actually choose the recruiters. It's that um, I think as your customer, maybe you should consider more of us on board.
0: I love that. It's a great challenge.
1: Last question for you
0: what is one word or phrase you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years?
1: Best practice is last practice. I think in terms of thinking about the future of work, once it's in all the articles and all the book, it's last practice. You're behind the curve. And I always think about, um, I don't seek best practice. I think next practice all the time. So don't think best think next. And I, that's my, for the future of work. And I think that'll apply way past, you know, AI, way past whatever is coming. I just think that um, by thinking about what's next practice versus best practice. And I always think of like, I see all these CHROs like, we're seeking best practices. We're seeking, I'm like, don't seek best practices, think next practices. Best practice was two years ago. If you're seeking best practices, you're already behind the curve. So that's been my motto is like seek next practice. Like, what am I? how can I get better tomorrow? I, I am today. That is always like, how can I reinvent? there? How can I continue to do this and that? And I want to be in places and spaces that I can do that, which at Guild gives me a huge opportunity. I earn that. I mean, I earn credibility every day. I try to earn credibility at Guild so I get to do the fine stuff I get to do. But yeah, next practice, not best practice. That'll apply no matter what. What other new other thing, AI, the internet, email, all, all these, the dot com bubble, like all these things that happened in the past. I've been through all these, you know, you have to remember I started with, um, a slide projector. That's why it's called a deck, a slide, deck. It's still called a slide deck, but we only use slides, it's still called a slide. Deck. So, uh, yeah, I started back then and so much change has happened, but I was never focused on what are we doing today? I was always like, what's next?
0: Best practice is last practice. BFF. Focus on the next practice. I love it. I mean, that's the right way to think about it. So, Dean, you are an amazing human. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you're doing for the HR community and for Guild. Appreciate you being on the Future of HR podcast. It was a true pleasure.
1: It was a delight. Thank you so much for the invitation. Really been great, JP.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Dean for sharing his career journey and sharing how he's aligned his career with his purpose. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Seb Gerald, SVP Chief People Officer at Comet Spirit Health, Colorado, Kansas, and Utah division. In our conversation, Seb and I are going to discuss the macro trends impacting healthcare, how strategic HR leaders are addressing these challenges, and why he's optimistic about the future of work. This is a terrific conversation you won't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.